Welcome to the BBB National Programs podcast, Better Series, where we will explore top-of-mind topics and self-regulation with business and industry leaders. Together, we seek to understand the leading trends and innovations that continue to push the envelope in today's marketplace. Hello, and welcome to BBB National Programs podcast series on data privacy. Here, we discuss major marketplace issues in the world of data privacy, from new regulatory developments to emerging technologies and new use cases. BBB National Programs is the home of a dozen leading national industry self-regulation programs focused on providing business guidance and enhancing consumer trust in key marketplace areas. Now, a lot is happening in the world of privacy today. From the passing of the California Privacy Rights Act ballot initiative during the last election cycle to new developments around cross-border data flows. Today, however, we're going to focus on an issue in the world of privacy that isn't often discussed, which is the issue of privacy in teens. Now, like the rest of the world, teens are constantly interacting with mobile apps, websites, and connected devices. Every day, teens interact with photography apps, games, lip-syncing apps, messenger apps, music and video sharing apps, in a world that, quite frankly, has become more digital since the rise of the pandemic. However, in the U.S. and other jurisdictions, many of the same legal protections that apply to young children don't apply to teens. Now, notably in the United Kingdom, Information Commissioner Elizabeth Dunham said kids are not like adults online and their data needs greater protection. Now, despite a lot of emerging legislation surrounding privacy generally in the United States and the rest of the world, not much of this legislation focuses on this unique part of the population. So as part of the ongoing dialogue about privacy, today we're going to talk about BBB National Program's Teenage Privacy Program, also known as TAP, and an inaugural white paper the TAP program launched covering the Android mobile app ecosystem. I'm Ayaz Minhas, and I currently serve as manager data privacy for BBB National Programs. Joining me are my colleagues Isaac Kronk, digital advertising compliance specialist, and Cameron Ganella, compliance manager. Today, the three of us are going to discuss the launch of TAP and our work on our paper, Risky Business, the Current State of Teen Privacy in the Android App Marketplace. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Ayaz. It's great to be here. Hi, Ayaz. Great. Thanks for inviting us. Of course, of course. So, Cameron, let's start off with you today. So, why teen privacy? Why is this an important marketplace issue today? Absolutely. It's really good to discuss, you know, why we're focusing on this. You know, why now? Why teens? So obviously teens are a huge portion of online users and they're very active in digital environments, especially since the pandemic. But even their generation, Gen Z, has uh, gotten the monkeyer digital natives, which means that they've grown up with this technology. So they're using it all the time. And in fact, 83% of mobile device users that are age 13 to 17 download at least one new app a month. And so if you think about that in the span of a year, When you remember that each app may collect or potentially expose data, that's 12 times the risk as just one app throughout the year for a single teen that might be downloading new apps. So teens aren't unaware that there's risks online. In fact, 72% of them think that tech companies manipulate users to spend more time on their devices. They just don't know the full extent of the risk of the online ecosystem that they're a part of. And in fact, that's in part due to a lack of regulation, like you mentioned, aimed at teens. And so... In the European Union, they have the GDPR, and that applies to teens 13 to 16, but unfortunately it varies between each member state, so between each um, European country, and it does only apply to Europe. Um, In the United States, we do have the CCPA and the CPRA, like you mentioned, 
and it lets 13 to 16 year olds choose to opt in to the sale or sharing of their data, but unfortunately, it doesn't afford them any other special protections um, with regard to their online privacy. And so, again, when we look at federal le legislation and the state of that right now, it only proposes raising the age of COPPA to include teens, but on a practical level, it doesn't really make sense to treat a five-year-old the same way that we would treat a 15-year-old online. And when you think about teens as a unique portion of the population, we don't think that they're capable of making real-world decisions, you know, such as voting, purchasing alcohol, and driving. For example, like those are all age-restricted for a good reason. But online, they have no protections at all. And so essentially, they're having to fend for themselves. So again, that really speaks to why we created TAP to address the nuanced needs of the teen audience and effectively protect them online. Yeah, thank you for that answer, Cameron. And for the benefit of our listeners, COPPA is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act of 1998, which was uh, passed to provide uh, protections for young children in the online space. Now, moving over to Isaac, for the benefit of our listeners, why did we focus our initial research efforts on the Android mobile app ecosystem? Hi, guys. So there are, as you know, two major mobile app ecosystems, the Apple App Store that uh, people use on iPhones and iPads and the like, and the Google Play Store, which is used by most Android phones and tablets. Now, between them, these app stores have millions of apps offered by publishers around the world, many of them for free. Well, to perform this research, we'd need to actually download over a thousand apps to our server systems to disassemble the app software so that we could examine each app for tracker software and permissions requests. And this first meant that we could only look at free apps. And due to the control that Apple exerts over its app store, it also meant that as a practical matter, we had to restrict our study to the Google Play Store as downloading and analyzing apps on the scale we wanted to do would have been problematic on the Apple App Store. Gotcha, and thank you for that clarification. So moving back to you, Cameron, at the outset, can you describe some of the high-level findings from our paper? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it'd be great to go over the overall, some of the more interesting things that we found. So in the teen apps that we looked at, we found that each app, um, as a median, had 11 permission requests per app, and out of those, there was a median of six dangerous permissions per app. And so for people that might not know what a dangerous permission is, because it, it does sound a little bit uh, dramatic, Google actually defines dangerous permissions um, as permissions that cover areas where the app wants data or resources that involve users' private information or permissions that could potentially affect the user's stored data or the operation of other apps. Um, and we also found that there was a median of 10 trackers per app, which means there could be potentially up to 10 different companies or 10 different types of information being collected about a teen in an app for tracking purposes. And in fact, the trackers that appeared most frequently in our analysis were controlled by Google and Facebook. And kind of the last finding that I wanna to touch on is that out of the apps that were ad supported in our teen directed apps, 82% were supported by ads versus only 51% of the general audience body of apps that we analyzed. Wonderful. Now, before we go a little bit deeper on this point, I think it's important to give our listeners a sense about what are free apps in the Google Play Store is and how are they monetized. Now, as I understand, and which we, I believe we all know, is through a combination of advertising and in-app purchases. Cameron, can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. And this is important to touch on because um, monetization might not be at the surface of an app. So you might not know what's going on behind the scenes. 
So most free apps operate on what we'd call a freemium model. So they're free to download, but you need to purchase in-app upgrades to advance in the game or access additional features. And so that keeps people wanting to play and wanting to keep making those purchases to advance farther in a game or access more, um, more content in an app. So most apps also supplement their in-app purchases with advertising, or they derive the revenue only from advertising um, because it can be uh, grown to great profitability using just advertising. So there are two types of advertising I just like to cover for our listeners. So the first is contextual, which relies on the content that you're currently looking at to provide you with an ad. So for example, if you're looking at a travel planning app, it might advertise flight or hotel deals. Or if you get like a flight simulator app, it might show you ads for other flying games on the app store. Now, in contrast, there's also interest-based advertising. So like its name implies, it relies on the actual behavior of the user and is tied to an identifier so that they can track or follow the user across different sites or apps they use. So they deliver what we call targeted advertising. So interest-based ads use data from your phone, for example, like what apps you use, the websites you visit, products you search for, or location data to see what stores you visit, what's near you, et cetera. The data, and that data can be combined across sources for more accurate targeted advertising. So to give you an example, if you go into a sporting goods store near your house, you could get ads for deals in that store the very next day. And the way that they tie the advertising to you, in a sense, is what's called the advertising identifier on your phone. And so for Google, um, you can opt out of this in your settings by going to opt out of interest-based ads, so it's very aptly named. But in the iOS ecosystem, the advertising identifier can be disabled when you turn on limit ad tracking. So the privacy settings tied to this type of advertising are very confusing for some users. And even some educated adults don't always recognize targeted ads for what they are. So when you consider how inexperienced teens are in comparison, they can be easily influenced and even manipulated by targeted ads from politics to body image to social issues. Certainly. And there is a uh, lack of understanding of this space with some users and certainly teens being less sophisticated as adult, uh, less sophisticated compared to adults might have challenges understanding how this space operates. Now, with that in mind, Isaac, can you go into a little bit more detail about how the data for this report was assembled, especially with respect to the teen apps that we looked at and the general audience apps that we looked at? Absolutely, Ayaz. So we wanted to start by identifying a broad range of the most popular apps on the Play Store. So we downloaded information about the top apps in every major category on the Play Store, like entertainment or action games. Then we expanded that to all apps marked as similar to the top apps. This gave us a data set of about 54,000 apps. Now we consider this to be our general audience data set a broad range of the most popular, widely used apps across all categories. Now, to identify our teen app data set as a subset of the general app data set, which we would actually then download and analyze, we set up a broad search criteria involving characteristics likely indicating teen apps, like apps that had words like Minecraft and superhero in the Play Store description, but didn't have words like credit score. This yielded a set of about 1,300 apps. We then developed a multi-factor test as an objective set of criteria to distinguish teen-directed apps from non-teen-directed apps, 
and we manually reviewed every app in the set of 1300 that we had previously identified. After evaluating each app based on the multi-factor test and after some technical adjustments, we had about 1,100 apps, which became our team data set. Wonderful. So again, for the benefit of our listeners, our data included publicly scraped data from both the general audience apps and teen apps and the Google, from the Google Play Store, and also data from downloaded and analyzed teen-directed apps. Now, Isaac, what kind of apps did we identify as teen apps, and what was our basis for making that determination? Well, we came up with a multi-factor test for teen-directed content, relying on a combination of um, industry standards for advertising, such as uh, MPAA ratings for films, ESRB ratings for video games, European advertising standards for alcohol, while also looking at the multi-factor test for child-directed content from the FTC's Tiny Co. decision. And I'm glad you brought that up. And for the benefit of our listeners, the TinyCo decision was a Federal Trade Commission decision that assessed whether an app was directed at children under COPPA. And so the FTC went through the elements of a multi-factor test to consider if an app was directed, was child-directed under COPPA, covering factors such as subject matter, visual content, language, and the use of animated characters, or child-oriented activities and incentives. Now, Isaac, we tried to play around with that test when we were uh, engaging in our own, trying to develop our own framework, correct? Yes, that's right. Ultimately, we came up with uh, nine broad factors uh, to assess the teen-directed nature of apps, and this did include subject matter, childish pranks, and so on. Um, Subject matter appealing, for instance, primarily to children, like basic spelling or counting apps, we considered not directed at teens, and subject matter chiefly of interest to adults, such as business or finance or that kind of thing, would be considered not directed at teens. Um, We uh, looked for criteria like visual content, uh, settings appealing to teenagers, uh, skate parks, teen clubs, uh, visual depictions uh, targeted at teenagers, which might include something like violence, but wouldn't include visual content only suitable for adults. Um, We looked at teenager-oriented characters, the kind of music involved, uh, models in the advertising who appear to be under 25, celebrities appealing to teenagers, and uh, language, other characteristics. Notwithstanding the uh, prior sections, we we also uh, indicated that apps known to be popular among teenage users might be considered as directed to teenagers even though they might appear to be primarily targeted to other users. Sort of a catch-all to uh, get those apps that may not look like teens would use them, but in fact, they are. Certainly, and uh, and I'm glad that we incorporated that element into our multi-factor test because we brought in uh, various types of video apps or entertainment apps that are known to be used by teenagers and young people when we conducted this analysis. So moving back to you, Cameron, we've talked a little bit about trackers versus permissions. Cameron, can you clarify what a tracker is and what a permission is for purposes of our paper? Absolutely. So we broke this down in the white paper, and a tracker is defined as a type of software that is used to collect data about user behavior. So the app developer can set a tracker in their own app, or they can contract with third parties, which are unaffiliated companies for the most part, to integrate those third-party trackers into their app. So most people are also familiar with permissions requests. Those are, you see those more often than you would see a tracker when you use an app. So they're usually a pop-up box that you see 
that'll ask you if an app can access your location or your contacts or send you push notifications. Um, however, some permissions are automatic. So for example, if an app just needs to access the internet, usually it'll just grant that permission without asking you um, because that you know, can be pretty innocuous and having to allow access to the internet in every single app that you download would get pretty tiring, I imagine. And we touched on dangerous permissions before. So again, those are permissions that involve the user's privacy and could potentially ask for personal information. So these are um, permissions that you might wanna be a little bit more careful about granting, especially teens, because they ask for things like accessing your contacts, accessing your precise, or even just your general location, so what city you're in, or they can access your microphone or your camera. So permissions let the app access a feature on your phone, just to differentiate, and trackers let a company or the app collect that information that the permission accesses and then keep records to use for other purposes. Wonderful, and to be clear, uh, there were 10 median trackers from our, our body of uh, research 14 apps. And I thought that was a really interesting, interesting finding um, with respect to trackers. Now, moving back to you, Isaac, um, when we were conducting this research, I think we learned a lot about what information is, is um, offered on the Google Play Store at, in the way that apps, that apps present information on their pages for the, on the Google Play Store. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, yes. Well, one important thing that we discovered is that it's possible to list an app in the Play Store with extremely vague or even no contact location information visible to the public. When we were running statistics on the numbers of apps produced by each country around the world, we found that many of the apps listed something as vague as a snippet of a street address or even just a common city name, but no country. Around 100 apps had such vague information listed on their uh, public app profiles online that we had to do some fairly extensive detective work just to figure out where they were produced. I think this reinforces that there's a uh, general need for greater transparency in the mobile app ecosystem, certainly with uh, many of the apps we looked at and particularly for these popular apps used by teenagers. Certainly. Now, Cameron, uh, what were some of, the, some of the findings from the paper that really jumped out at you that you think teens and their parents should be informed about in this space? Sure, and the paper did cover so many interesting things, but what I really think is important for teens and their parents to know is that all this data that permissions are requesting and that trackers are recording and tracking you with, it can be combined. So when you look at our findings from a bird's eye view, Google and Facebook have multiple trackers that collect different pieces of personal information. And what they can do with that is build profiles of individual users that are very accurate. So those profiles can include things like what you sound like, where you live and work, who your friends are, who your family is, where your family lives, your habits, your interests, etc. So that is a lot of information just about you that these companies have. And this, this is going to sound a little bit, you know, alarmist, but it is true. So you should assume that every app that you download is tracking some kind of data about you. It's not always going to be bad. It's not always going to be, you know, a beneficial case, but it's just a fact. Um, so you should be cognizant about what you agree to and also your device privacy settings, like we touched on earlier about disabling, um, opting out of interest-based ads or disabling or limiting ad tracking on iOS devices. Um, they should also be aware that teens are being targeted at a much higher rate with advertising of both types, contextual and interest-based advertising, as we found in our study. And they're also being targeted with more in-app purchases. And 
they should keep in mind, especially with freemium models, too many in-app purchases can become addictive and cause teens especially to spend more time on their devices, which then exposes them to even more advertising, more in-app purchases in this ecosystem. And it's especially salient when you look at the fact that over half of the teen apps we analyzed were gaming apps. So you should take special care when downloading and using new games. Right, and that's an important point about the the level of the presence of gaming apps uh, in our body of research. So let's put this all together a bit. So there's a lot of free apps in the Google Play Store. A lot of them are directed at teens and might be free to download or might have a lot of in-app purchases. Now, a big thing we're hearing about today in the world of data privacy is the notion of a dark pattern. A dark pattern is it could be a user interface that's designed to trick or encourage consumers to take certain actions. For instance, this can be a screen that you can't quite tap away from instantly, or a box that you have to check or uncheck that guides you to an in-app purchase option, or even it could just be manipulative language encouraging you to take a certain action. Now, how do you all think that these practices compare with some of the practices that we identified in our paper when it comes to this when it comes to this notion of a dark pattern? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a great question. Um, and it's certainly at the top of mind right now, I think for a lot of people, because of the social dilemma just coming out on Netflix. So for those of you who aren't aware, it's a documentary that talks about, you know, big tech, dark patterns, um, other manipulative designs online. Um, and so some of what it discusses are dark patterns that we aren't aware of. And so I, I know I wasn't aware of these is for example, notifications that apps use to get users to check and use their apps more frequently. So as an example, on a social media app, you'll get a notification saying, oh, your friend has joined, like go say hi to them in the app. So that would you know, encourage you to go in and open the app and look around and spend time on the app when you might not have wanted to open the app at that time. Um, other things like ellipses and messaging apps. So the little dots that come up when someone is typing, it encourages you to sit there and wait for their response instead of sending a response to them, putting your phone down, and then checking it later to see if they've responded. It encourages people to really spend a lot more time on their device and do a lot more on the device so the phone can essentially collect more behavior about the user. Um, another dark pattern they discussed is how social media can be designed with similar reward systems as casinos. And this also ties in kind of with the freemium model that we talked about, but what the social dilemma touched on was that if you refresh your feed, so I know a lot of us have social media and can attest to this, there will always be new content at the top of the page, no matter how many times you refresh or when you're refreshing. And so the thing to note is that the movie featured a teen protagonist throughout being on their phone, being exposed to all these dark patterns. And it showed how the dark patterns impacted his real world behavior. And so that's really what we're concerned by is, you know, how these things can affect teens in the real world. So in the movie, it showed him getting exposed to all kinds of very targeted political advertising. And he ended up attending a violent political protest and getting arrested. And so this ties back to how teens can be targeted um, with, you know, political ads and it influences their beliefs and actions in real life. And it also shows how dangerous targeted ads and interest-based ads can be in other contexts, um, not just political, not just social, et cetera. And they also, the movie also did a good job of showing how teens are more susceptible to these manipulative tactics than adults, usually due to their age and development level. So it showed how teens can easily become more addicted to their devices. Um, for example, in the movie, the teen protagonist tries to take a break from his phone and the apps and algorithms decided to send him a notification that's targeted to him that his ex is in a new relationship. So again, encouraging him to open the app, do more actions in the app so they can collect more information about his behavior and encourage him to spend more time on the app. 
So even though the social dilemma used a teen actor to demonstrate how insidious these online data collection practices can be, the film didn't actually call out teens specifically as a unique audience that needs unique privacy protections, even though they did call out younger children earlier on in the film as needing more protection online. And so this really, again, underscores TAP's purpose to bring teens to the forefront of the privacy discussion here. And I think that's a really important point in that there's a constellation of practices, marketing practices and data collection practices with privacy risks that might be problematic to teens and how there might be and how there's a need for uh, solutions and and policy positions to address some of these challenges. Isaac, do you have any thoughts in this area, especially bringing it all together? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think there's a uh, a thing to look at with regard to in-app purchases. A lot of mobile app publishers who uh, put in-app purchases in their apps cater to so-called whales, users who are known to spend a lot of money on in-app purchases. And they do this by continually releasing new and niche content behind small paywalls to keep those users engaged with the app for a long period of time. And companies also optimize their ad models to reel in fish, users who experience interest-based advertising as they use their favorite apps and make incremental purchases from time to time based on this advertising. And the thing is, fish can become whales over time due to the addicting nature of freemium app models. Some companies count on requiring in-app purchases to reach higher levels or providing in-game rewards for watching ads, causing users to spend a lot more time in their apps. Teens are especially susceptible to these monetization tactics because of their age, and since app developers are paid for ad engagement, they often achieve great profitability at the user's expense. In addition, in cases where app developers or trackers embedded in apps have access to payment information from in-app purchases, they may be able to tie that in with individualized tracking to target advertising to specific sets of users profiled as likely to be big spenders. This kind of individualized user tracking and profiling may well take advantage of teen users who uh, frequently have inexperience with financial management, even though they often have spending money for the first time in their lives on any real scale. And they also have susceptibility to this kind of advertising. And I think that's a really important point because even though a lot of teens are digital natives, they do lack some of the uh, experience with emotional management, financial management, and just managing their experience with with uh, visuals and the digital world. Uh, and they may or may not lack certain skills that adults have when engaging with, um, with some of these mediums. To wrap up this discussion, what are your takeaways from this research paper and teen privacy generally, uh, Cameron and Isaac? Sure. And I think you made a really great point just now, Ayaz, about how teens really may lack some of the skills that adults have in navigating the world. And again, we're not saying that teens are like children or as or are as naive as children might be. But the ages 13 to 17, which TAP is really focused on, are more formative years. Teens are learning about themselves. They're learning more about the world around them. And so there is a real need to eliminate these harmful digital practices that may take advantage of them online. So again, TAP was created to help companies and app developers be more responsible on how they collect and use the data from teens. And it also aims to create some standardization in the industry so that companies are operating on a level playing field for them while keeping in mind that they need to protect teen privacy and holding them all to that same standard as well. 
That's right, Cameron. And uh, besides TAP being a good way to be privacy protective to our users, uh, another good way for uh, companies to protect the privacy of their own users is to follow the Digital Advertising Alliance's mobile guidance principles, which provides industry best practices on mobile app privacy, such as enhanced notice, provisions for opt-out tools, and special protection for the collection of precise location data. Well, thank, thank you for that comment, Isaac and, uh, and Cameron. And I think we are at an interesting position right now, just given the greater engagement with the digital world as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think as TAP helps formulate these best practices, we're going to... Um, we're really going to aim to come up with new ways and more ethical business practices to engage in the areas of privacy and just good digital marketing practices as both teen and teens and adults engage with the digital world. Well, I want to thank both of you for your participation today. Uh, it's been a really great discussion, and um, it, it was a real pleasure working on the paper with both of you. So thank you for your participation today, Cameron and Isaac. Absolutely. It was good to be here. And thanks very much, Ayas, for having us. Of course, of course. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you to our listeners. This is the first in a new privacy-focused series of podcasts from BBB National Programs. If you're interested in reaching out to learn more about TAP, our white paper, or BBB National Programs generally, our contact information should be on the page that hosts this podcast. And if you're a privacy professional and you have your own hot topic to discuss, please feel free to reach out to us and we'd love to have you as our guest in the future. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in and we hope that you have an excellent day and we hope that everybody stays healthy during the holidays. You just enjoyed the Better Series podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To learn more about our other shows, visit betterbusiness.blueberry.com. That's betterbusiness.blubrry.com. Follow us on Twitter at BBB underscore NTL programs. Send your comments and ideas to podcast at bbbnp.org. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB National Programs or its affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Blueberry's Terms of Service.